In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see all of you on this Palm Sunday. Really nice to see you, and I know what you're thinking, especially if you are a longtime Episcopalian, you're thinking, why aren't we reading the Passion Narrative? Why aren't we doing the, the parts where everybody, you know, throughout the congregation uh, takes some of the parts of the long Passion Good Friday reading? And I'll just say, if, if you were wondering that, it's because uh, that's actually in church history, that's a late innovation, probably the last 40 or 50 years. And the reason they added the Good Friday reading in on Palm Sunday is because people didn't come to church on Good Friday. They, uh, they, they, didn't, they didn't come to church, but you do. Y'all come to church on Good Friday because you understand that we can't get to the glory of Easter without going through the gloom of Good Friday. So more than half, many of you will be here on Good Friday at either noon or 6.30. And if you're on the fence about whether or not to come on Friday, well, I will see you Friday at noon or 6.30. Uh, we, have, we have nursery, so if that's an issue, uh, we, for this at 6.30. So um, we're going we're gonna to stick with Jesus and walk, uh, try to walk as he walked and take Palm Sunday on Sunday and then get to, good, uh, get to the Last Supper on Thursday and then Good Friday on Friday uh, rather than doing it today. And then, of course, Easter, just a week from today, the glory of the resurrection. But I'll tell you, Palm Sunday... It's got enough to teach us on its own. Uh, because as we enter into Holy Week, as we see Jesus enter into Jerusalem and uh, into the conflict that awaited him, as we then experience Thursday's Last Supper and Friday's sorrowful cross, Palm Sunday prepares us. Palm Sunday prepares us to, by reminding us just who it is that will endure these things for us. And Luke particularly tells us that the one who will offer us the, the bread and the wine as his body and blood, that the one who will offer his life on the cross as an offering for our sin, that he is in fact our king. And he is not just any king, he is the king of prophecy, he is the king of peace, and he is the king of praise. The king of prophecy, peace, and praise. We want to see who he is, but we also want to ask, why does it matter for you and me? So first, let's look at the king of prophecy. I wonder if you found it strange when Deacon Beth was reading the gospel that that over half of the gospel passage is taken up with the donkey. I mean, if you were writing the gospel of the, about the triumphal entry, would you spend that much time on the donkey? Would, would you, would you, wouldn't you spend more time with Jesus or with the crowds or with the hosannas? Well, we, get, we get incredible detail about how these two disciples are to go out and go about finding and procuring this colt donkey. Right, Four times we're told it's a colt donkey, a young donkey. Five times we're told that they had to untie it. And we don't know who the disciples were even that went to go uh, get the donkey. We don't know who the donkey 
uh, was owned by, but we know about that donkey, don't we? What is going on here? Well, Luke is bending over backwards to get us to recall the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Now, just in case you haven't done Bible study on Zechariah lately, let me tell you what chapter 9, verse 9 says. It says, Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so by spending all this time on the colt that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem, Luke is telling us that Jesus is the king that the prophet predicted. Now, we're Americans. We never had a king. The king sounds like fairy tale to us. But the king, so for us to kind of get our heads and hearts around it, the king is the one who by birthright is given to rule sovereignly for the good of the people. And the king is one, the one who in turn the people owe their allegiance. So that's the king and that's who Jesus is. But the people who were with Jesus as he rode down the steep path of the Mount of Olives, these were just regular people, working people. These were not the religious elite. They were the countryside farmers and the, and, and the fishermen. They were the village shopkeepers. And surely not just a few tax collectors and notorious sinners. These were the men and the women that he had taught and healed and blessed and treated with dignity. These are the ones that he had taught to call God Father. <clears throat> These regular people, they got it. They got it. Whether it was because they remembered it from their Hebrew school when they were growing up or whether the Holy Spirit just whispered it uh, into their hearts as Jesus approached Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. They made the connection. This was the king that 500 years ago Zechariah told us was going to come and he's coming just the way that Zechariah said he was going to come. See, G Jesus was not choosing to ride because he was tired. He was destined to ride because he's the king we've been waiting for. They get it. And so, because they get it, they start singing. They start singing Psalm 118, which we just read ourselves. It was a song that their parents and their grandparents had taught them to sing anytime they were approaching the Jerusalem temple. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I wonder if you noticed they changed it. It's just a little change, but a big meaning. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. How did they know? It's because the prophet told them. Jesus is the king of prophecy. He's also the king of peace. Now, 
Jesus was coming uh, down from the Mount of Olives. So he's coming from, from the east side of Jerusalem. And I wonder if you knew that over on the west side of Jerusalem, there was another big entourage approaching. It was another procession with a lot of fanfare, very different vibe. It was Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor, the emissary of Tiberius Caesar himself. And it is not unreasonable to wonder if these two contrasting entourages approached the holy city of Jerusalem at nearly the same moment. One from one side, one from the other. Pilate's regular headquarters, where he did his governing, was on the Mediterranean coast, in Caesarea by the sea. But he was coming to Jerusalem with extra troops and a show of force to keep the peace during Passover. He wanted to make sure that things didn't get out of line with all the, all the, uh, the, the massive numbers of pilgrims who would be coming to Jerusalem. And almost certainly, Pilate would have entered Jerusalem through one of the gates on the west side of the city, smirking as he passed Golgotha. Because that's where he would punish any rabble-rousers quickly. The sun was gleaming off his powerful armor. His mighty war horse looked fiery and fearsome as he was flanked by soldiers carrying battle flags. Pilate came in the way that the, way that the world understood power. With strength. Without mercy. He came with an eager willingness to crush his opponents. But over on the east side, there was no war horse. There was just a borrowed young donkey. Somebody else's cloak being used for a saddle. There were no battle flags. There were only palm fronds and clothes laid down as a sort of poor man's royal carpet. There were no soldiers. Just devoted disciples, joyful with anticipation. Their king taking his throne. And what are they proclaiming? In addition to Jesus' kingship, what are they saying? They're proclaiming peace. Peace in heaven, they say, and glory in the highest. They understand that this king of prophecy is also the king of peace, the king of shalom, the king who was going to come and set everything the way that God intended it to be. He would be the king who ruled by love and not by fear. The king who would heal them rather than harm them. I wonder, I wonder if they understood that heavenly peace was on a collision course with earthly power. This Lord of life was on a collision course with, the, the, with certain death. And I wonder if we understand just how much this peace costs the king of peace. I wonder if we can see the strength of his will and the strength of his faith in the sovereignty of God the Father that this king of peace showed as he rode right into the hands of the very ones who wanted him dead. 
I wonder if we can see that the King of Peace rode to his death to win peace with God for you and me. And so he's the king of prophecy and he is the king of peace. He's also the king of praise. That might be better said that he is, he is the king who is worthy of our praise. If you were to look and go through and read all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, you would not be able to find a single other instance beside the triumphal entry, it's the triumphal entries in all four Gospels, you would not be able to find one other instance besides the triumphal entry where Jesus has deliberately made himself the center of attention. Think about it. Every time you ever see Jesus healing someone miraculously, what does he do? He tells them, keep quiet. Don't tell anybody who I am. When they do want to grab him and make him the king by force, he makes a getaway before they know what's happened. But here, here Jesus has deliberately positioned himself to invite their praises as Zechariah's blessed king, the one who has come in the name of the Lord. He's coming as with great intention as the one who is carrying uh, salvation, the righteous king who is humble and mounted on a donkey. In fact, it is so unusual that Jesus would draw such attention to himself, so unusual that Jesus would make such a blatant show of his divinity that we have to ask, why? Why is he doing it? And I think the answer must be that as he enters Jerusalem and makes his way toward the events that would lead to his crucifixion, that Jesus is giving us just a little peek behind the curtain. That everything, I mean, everything that's going to happen this week is going to look like chaos. I mean, the cross is going to look like utter defeat. But as the one the prophets prophesied and predicted centuries before as the one who came to win peace with God for sinners. Come what may this week, he will be completely in control. Completely in control. So he's given us just a peek behind the curtain to see that he is God in the flesh whose weakness is more powerful than humanity's greatest strength. Who alone can bring eternal victory out of total loss, whose death will give us all forgiveness and peace and life. Because Jesus is not riding in simply as one in a long line of great religious teachers on par with Muhammad or Confucius or even Moses. No, the humble king who's riding the donkey was and is the Son of God, the bread of life, He's the living water, the good shepherd, the agent of all creation, and the author of our salvation. The one riding the donkey is the one above all others who is worthy of our praise. The crowd on the Mount of Olives understood this. And we join with them today. So Jesus is the king of prophecy. He is the king of peace and he is the king of praise we've got to ask 
So what? Why does it matter? In the midst of doctor's appointments, a very troubling news cycle, and tax day approaching, and kids' piano and sports practices they got to be shuttled to, and a boss that just can't be pleased in the midst of all the craziness of our lives. Why does it matter? There might be a lot of answers to that question, but principally I think it matters because of Holy Week. It matters because this king of prophecy and peace and praise who by divine right had the authority to wield far more power than Pilate that he laid it all down for us. Just as he rode through the stone walls of Jerusalem and into the tumultuous activity of the city, so he rides through the stone walls of our hearts and into the tumultuous activity of our lives. He rode into the chaos so that we might have his peace. He rode to his death so that we might have his life. And he still rides in. He still rides in. He is with you through every trial, through every difficulty, through every grief. I think it also matters that we find ourselves in the Palm, Sto- Palm Sunday story among the ones who are praising this king because we're also going to find ourselves around the table on Thursday with the disciples at the Last Supper when this king offers us bread and wine as his body and blood. It matters that we find ourselves among the ones in today's story, shout Hosanna because we're also going to find ourselves among the disciples in Gethsemane when they're falling asleep. They were supposed to pray and keep watch, but they ran away when things got hard. We'll find ourselves among the crowd on Friday yelling, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! We'll find ourselves with Barabbas We see this king take up our cross and head up the hill. And so I want to encourage you on this Palm Sunday to set your intention to walk with Jesus this week. Don't skirt around the city wall to the other side and head straight for the empty tomb next Sunday morning. Enter in Receive his humility. Let him wash your feet. Let him offer you his body and blood. Let him carry your cross. Because he is the king that the prophets predicted. He's the king who gives us his peace. And he is our king. We offer him our praise today. Amen.